It's the Code St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast for Friday, July 10, 2020. On today's episode, we have TV and movie recommendations from Stephen Tomlinson. He will be speaking about the series The Plot Against America, also the series High Fidelity. He'll also be speaking about the documentary about James Baldwin called I Am Not Your Negro. And of course, he'll be speaking about Hamilton. Hamilton was also the right-hand man of George Washington, as well as the adversary of Thomas Jefferson. And this is all presented in an electrifying, believe it or not, hip-hop style. Even many who have never seen the show may have heard the score that went six times platinum and has become, come on now, the best-selling cast album of all time. Music librarian Farah Mohammed will be discussing the resurrection of spring. This was an episode we played on May Day, and we hope you enjoy it again. The Celts of the British Isles believed May 1st to be the most important day of the year when the Festival of Beltane was held. This festival was thought to divide the year in half between the light and the dark. We will start and end the show today with Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess. Nick will be uh, singing many songs, including the first one, which is Ain't No Mountain High Enough, which was a 1967 hit recorded by Marvin Gaye and Tammy Terrell. Of course, it became a hit uh, a couple years later when the Supremes sung it and it became a number one hit for them. On this day in history, on July 10, 1925, in Dayton, Tennessee, the so-called Scopes Monkey Trial began. John Thomas Scopes was a young high school teacher, science teacher, And he was accused by the state of Tennessee of teaching evolution by natural selection, which was a violation of Tennessee state law. Attorney Clarence Darrow agreed to join the ACLU in his defense. And the stage was set for one of the most famous trials in U.S. history. Now, maybe you had read Inherit the Wind in school. Maybe you saw one of the many movies of Inherit the Wind. There was the 1960 movie with Spencer Tracy, Frederick March, Gene Kelly. And it's been done many times, 1965, there was a television remake. Another television remake was with Jason Robarts and Kirk Douglas, which aired in 1988. And in 1999, Jack Lemmon uh, starred in the movie along with uh, George C. Scott. Anyway, the real Scopes monkey trial ended in a conviction of the teacher and a $100 fine. But $100 fine was basically the least that the jury could do. Now, during the trial, the defense lawyer, Clarence Darrow, wasn't allowed to put any experts on the stand. The judge didn't allow him to do that. So he couldn't prove, he couldn't show how scientifically the theory of evolution makes sense and why it works. So Darrow decided to put one person on the stand. He put the opposing lawyer, the former presidential candidate, William Jennings Bryan. He put him on the stand and he meticulously tore apart his literal beliefs of the Bible. If this was modern times, there would be a YouTube video of it and there'd be some clickbait type title, which would say, Darrow destroys Brian. But basically that's what happened. And all the movies that um, that have been made sort of capture that, I think really well. Here is part of the 1960 movie showing part of that confrontation on the stand. Here's Spencer Tracy as Clarence Darrow. He wants to destroy everybody's belief in the Bible and in God. That's not true, and you know it. The Bible is a book. It's a good book, but it is not the only book. It is a revealed word of the Almighty God. Speak to the man who wrote the Bible. 
How do you know that God didn't speak to Charles Darwin? I know because God tells me to oppose the evil teachings of that man. Oh, God speaks to you? Yes. He tells you what is right and wrong? Yes. And you act accordingly? Yes. So you, Matthew Harris and Brady, through oratory or legislature or whatever, you pass on God's orders to the rest of the world. Well, meet the prophet from Nebraska. Is that the way of things? Is that the way of things? God tells Brady what is good. To be against Brady is to be against God. Each man is a free agent. Then what is Bertram Cates doing in a Hillsborough jail? Supposing Mr. Cates had the influence and the lung power to railroad through the state legislature a law saying that only Darwin could be taught in the schools. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. There is only one great truth in the world. The gospel. Mm. The gospel according to Brady. God speaks to Brady and Brady tells the world. Brady, Brady, Brady Almighty! The Lord, the Lord is my strength. Suppose that a lesser human being, suppose a Cates or a Darwin, had the audacity to think that God might whisper to him that an unbrady thought might still be holy. Must a man go to prison because he differs with the self-appointed prophet? That was This Day in History. And now let's get started with a little bit of music. Ain't No Mountain High Enough from Nick Burgess, followed immediately after by Stephen Tomlinson's recommendations. The following is brought to you by Recreation CSL and is an excerpt from Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess, presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts. All right, here we go. This one goes out to Phyllis, who asked for this tune last week, a couple weeks ago. This one's for you, Phyllis. Thank you. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. That's me. And for the next 20 minutes or so, I'll be talking about movies and television while providing some recommendations for what to watch and where to watch them. Today, I'll be discussing the brand new release of the film's stage performance of the musical drama Hamilton, as well as a documentary about it. Also, another documentary, this one based on the work of James Baldwin with a special relevance for our own time. I'll also be looking at the recent series adaptations of the novels The Plot Against America and High Fidelity, in addition to a movie with Chloe Grace Moretz, Juliette Binoche, and Kristen Stewart, all about fame, acting, aging, and acceptance. But first, Ennio Morricone, the great Italian film composer, indeed one of the very greatest composers in the history of movies, passed away on Monday at the age of 91. I think that as long as I've been aware of movies, I've always been aware of his music. Although I'm not quite old enough to have been around at the time, his earliest music in the 1960s helped define the spaghetti western genre in such films as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly and Once Upon a Time in the West. Over a passionate and an inexhaustibly creative career spanning 50 years, Morricone created a staggering wait for it, 500 film scores in working with directors such as Terrence Malick, Roland Joffe, Brian De Palma, Giuseppe Tornatore, Barry Levinson, Quentin Tarantino, and of course, Sergio Leone, with whose epic mythic westerns he will be forever associated. Although he would often sharply remind interviewers that these constituted just a fraction of his output. His many other film scores include those for The Mission, Cinema Paradiso, The Untouchables, and Days of Heaven, all Oscar-nominated. Morricone was an extraordinarily creative force, so it came as something of surprise that his first Oscar, actually his only Oscar, um, for Best Original Score after six previous nominations only came in 2016 when he was 88 years old. And that was 11 years after he was presented with his honorary Oscar, which is usually the point at which film people are assumed to have gone into retirement. That Oscar that he did win in 2016 was for Quentin Tarantino's The Hateful Eight, which, as in so much of his work, really demonstrates a unique melodic gift to express drama through music and often with great accompanying emotion. Both The Hateful Eight and all the other movies that I've mentioned here, uh, in addition to many more scored by Marconi, are available to reserve from the library as DVDs. That's the great Italian film composer Ennio Morricone. The acclaimed and most popular of recent Broadway musicals, the phenomenal Hamilton, debuted on the streaming service Disney Plus last week. Originally filmed over three days in June 2016 at the Richard Rogers Theatre in New York, the same month that the musical swept the Tony Awards, this filmed recording features the entire original cast, including show creator Lin-Manuel Miranda as Alexander Hamilton as Leslie Odom Jr. as Aaron Burr. Now, this is not really 
a movie, not in the sense of an all-out bells and whistles Hollywood extravaganza. Rather, this is a live performance recorded of the story of Alexander Hamilton, one of America's so-called founding fathers, or in the words of the musical itself, the $10 founding father, because he's on the $10 bill. Hamilton was also the right-hand man of George Washington, as well as the adversary of Thomas Jefferson. And this is all presented in an electrifying, believe it or not, hip-hop style. Even many who have never seen the show may have heard the score that went six times platinum and has become, come on now, the best-selling cast album of all time. Hamilton is a densely plotted endlessly energetic rags to riches tale with duels, scandal, tragedy, and the American Revolution itself, of course. And although it is a filmed stage performance, this is not a static affair. No, not at all. Instead, in a highly cinematic fashion, cameras drift across the stage from character to character and also mix in some overhead shots to highlight the show's extraordinary choreography and also present close-ups now and then to enhance the musical drama's powerful moments. The camera also often finishes some scenes in the footlights and tilts it slightly upwards to add stature to its characters. But the artificiality of some of the show's devices, by which I mean the minimalist staging and continually moving cast, may take a little getting used to. But the songs are funny, entertaining, and unfailingly smart, while referencing everything from Shakespeare to Stephen Sondheim to contemporary rap. But in casting Black, Hispanic, and Asian American actors as the U.S. founding fathers and other dead white people of history, the first-generation Puerto Rican Miranda has certainly caught a moment in time, and one even more relevant today than ever. Inspired by Ron Chernow's 2004 biography, this is, most crucially, a vision of America as it was in the 18th century, but as told and interpreted by an America of today in all of its multiracial, multicultural glory. Hamilton cost Disney $75 million for the privilege of presenting it on its streaming service, Disney+. Plus. It's not available anywhere else. But call it money well spent as they had intended to release this version in theaters before the pandemic required a change of plans. And as I've said, it could not have come at a better time. That's the musical drama Hamilton, now streaming on Disney+. Plus. But there's also the documentary about the making of Hamilton, which you can watch on the library's Canopy streaming service, entitled Hamilton, One Shot to Broadway, featuring interviews with Lin-Manuel Miranda, as well as the original cast and crew, in addition to much contextual material. Also of great interest, but as a completely separate documentary that still works well as something of a companion piece to Hamilton, is the moving 2017 Oscar-nominated I Am Not Your Negro that draws a direct line from the civil rights movement of the 1950s and 1960s to the contemporary Black Lives Matter movement of today. This documentary is centered on the writer, intellectual, and political activist James Baldwin and his incomplete novel, which had meant to be a personal account of the lives and assassinations 
of three of his contemporaries and close friends, Medgar Evers, Malcolm X, and Martin Luther King Jr. Now, over 30 years later, filmmaker Raoul Peck has envisioned that book, which Baldwin, as I said, had never finished, and plays it out on film as a documentary. Narrated by Hollywood actress Samuel L. Jackson, I Am Not Your Negro is highly recommended if you're looking to inform yourself on the ongoing movement of today and or just want an historical education with great relevance for what's going on now. That's I Am Not Your Negro, available to watch on both the library streaming services Hoopla Digital and Canopy. Another title set in the past, or rather a reimagined past, but still with a very contemporary relevance, is the new six-episode HBO miniseries and adaptation of Philip Roth's novel, The Plot Against America. What if? What if? That's the question always in the background of this speculative series, which follows a working-class Jewish-American family as, just imagine it, Charles Lindbergh is running as a far-right anti-Semitic presidential candidate opposite FDR in 1941. The plot against America, which starts innocently enough as a kind of nostalgic memory of life in pre-World War II Newark, New Jersey, shifts gradually into a more disturbing work. A work about what fear motivates people to do, and more importantly, not do in the face of evil. But what makes the plot against America pack such a big punch is its devotion to realism. By examining this alternate history through the eyes of one ordinary Jewish American family. And by doing so, the stress and anguish of what comes to pass feels all the more urgent. We first meet Philip Levin and his family in the halcyon pre-war summer days of 1939. Newark is a sunlit community full of children playing in the streets safely, mothers gossiping on the porch, and fathers loudly talking liberal New Deal politics on their own front lawns. The only cause of strife in Philip's world is his father Herman's loving but tense relationship with his orphaned nephew, Alvin. The young man is churning with rage over the injustices in the world. But unlike Herman, who stands by his faith in God, country, and Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Elvin takes a more cynical view of things. And after Lindbergh trounces FDR in the 1940 election, Elvin moves to Canada to fight Nazis head-on. But it's a choice that will have terrible repercussions. Things are no less dramatic on the other side of the Levin family. Philip's mother, Bess, has an older sister, Evelyn, played by Winona Winona Ryder, excuse me, struggling to find a place for herself as an aging woman in the 1940s, as events play out among the family at large. When Roth wrote the book in 2004, the concept was seen, in some quarters at least, as a little alarmist. But in 2020, it almost feels too real, even prophetic somewhat in that so much of the plot against America anchors its storytelling in its characters' collective disillusionment in the concept of America, thus making it a truly devastating tragedy to watch. And as such, one with great contemporary relevance for today. 
That's The Plot Against America, upsetting, beautifully realized, and ultimately must-watch television, and available to view on Crave, a package of cable TV channels, and also as an app that you can get from either Videotron or Bell. Something else worth seeing, though concerned much less with the travails of the world, is the highly amusing series from Hulu, High Fidelity, which is a comedy-drama series adaptation of the beloved novel by Nick Hornby, and which can also be viewed in Canada on Crave. This is the second time around for High Fidelity as an adaptation, having once been made into a movie 20 years ago with John Cusack, Jack Black, and other actors. The creative team this time around has had to not only live up to the expectations of generations of fans of both movie and novel, they've had to sell an entirely new generation on the idea that pop music, vintage vinyl, and top five lists are still the epitome of cool. They succeed, I think. Thanks in large part to a career best performance by Zoe Kravitz around which the brilliant supporting cast of High Fidelity is centered. Witty and charming, High Fidelity celebrates both the highs and the lows of romantic love, while pondering the inevitable heartbreak and loneliness that go with it. Unlike either other version of it, however, Hulu's series recasts the story's lovelorn hipster record shop owner protagonist Rob, played in the movie by John Cusack, this time as a black woman, which really underscores the universality of the story. But what's also different this time around is that Rob, as played by Kravitz, feels a little more fully rounded as a character, reveling not only in her effortlessly cool image, but also revealing the anxiety, self-loathing, guilt, and selfishness that often lurk beneath that exterior. In fact, one of the best parts of High Fidelity is how it finally gives Zoe Kravitz the platform to show off the depth of her talent, and she carries it off through monologues to the camera, multiple montages, flashbacks, and offbeat comedic setups, all the while remaining in her character, equal parts captivating and vulnerable. Another thing that I like about this high fidelity is that it uses its sharp, if often sweet, writing to represent how relationships have and haven't changed in the modern world. You know, for all the talk about how technology has changed, how we relate to others as individuals, this series, I think, asserts that heartbreak, romance, friendship, family, loneliness, and loyalty are timeless universal human experiences that haven't changed all that much. And like the classic rock music that its characters obsess about, High Fidelity suggests that the pursuit of love is something that will never go out of style. That's High Fidelity, available to view on Crave. And finally today, the backstage drama Clouds of Sils Maria, starring Juliette Binoche, Kristen Stewart, and Chloe Grace Moretz which exquisitely explores both the subtle and not-so-subtle intricacies of movie stardom as written and directed by the wonderful French filmmaker Olivier Essayas. At the peak of her international career, the character of Maria Enders, played by Juliette Binoche, 
is asked to perform in a revival of the play that made her famous 20 years earlier. But back then, she played the role of Sigrid, an alluring young woman who disarms and eventually drives her boss Helena to despair. But now she is being asked by a hotshot young director to step into the other role, that of the older Helena. And Maria agrees to do so, then departs with her assistant Val, played by Kristen Stewart, to rehearse in a remote region of the Alps called Sils Maria. But things take a turn for the strange as Benash's character of Maria begins to engage in a tussle of wits and wills with Stewart's vow. Meanwhile, a young Hollywood starlet with a penchant for scandal, played by Chloe Grace Moretz, is to take on the role of Sigrid. And so Maria finds herself on the other side of the mirror, face to face with this ambiguously charming woman who is, in essence, an unsettling reflection of herself. But what is most fascinating here is the relationship between Maria and Val, one bordering on the claustrophobic. At first, Maria and Val seem to get on seamlessly, but their relationship, even friendship of a kind, has never, of course, been on an equal footing. Passing a cigarette back and forth, they proceed to rehearse the old play to the point where it highlights and defines the running tensions between them which leads to a very surprising, even shocking conclusion. Both beautifully shot and largely set in the Swiss Alps, Clouds of Sils Maria sketches out the complex psychological conflicts among all three women. But while the film is often a little too saturated with ideas to involve the emotions of the audience completely, I think, this assured, multi-layered film reveals its scope as a narrative meditation on such universal topics as aging and youth, while ranging between more contemporary ones. From the dangers of omniscient celebrity culture to the various merits or demerits of superhero blockbusters. The entire cast all leaves a refined and articulate impression without being overly self-conscious about it all. And as a backstage drama, Clouds of Sils Maria may remind you of that Hollywood classic, All About Eve, if without the melodramatic bite of that film. There's just something a little too compassionate and a little too coolly skillful for that here. That's Clouds of Sils Maria, available to stream on the library's Hoopla digital streaming service, and also as a DVD that can be reserved from the library. Anyway, that's all for now. You've been listening to Lockdown Viewing with Code St. Luke librarian Stephen Tomlinson. I hope you've enjoyed this installment and will join me next Friday for more recommendations of what to watch and where to watch them. Remember, if you have any comments or questions, you can best reach me at stomlinson at codesaintluke.org or by means of the library's Facebook page, or even by calling the library at 514-485-6900 and leaving a message for me. All the best, happy viewing, and bye-bye for now. Good afternoon, and welcome to another musical moment. My name is Farah Mohammed, and my topic today is May Day. Let me clarify first by stating that I don't mean the emergency word used internationally as a distress signal in radio communications. What I mean is that May Day is the first day of May, which of course is today, 
and it is traditionally a celebration or festival of spring and the resurrection of nature after the long and cold winter months. It is normally associated with flowers, dancing, and maypoles, with celebrations sometimes including the crowning of a May King or May Queen. The Celts of the British Isles believed May 1st to be the most important day of the year when the Festival of Beltane was held. This festival was thought to divide the year in half between the light and the dark. Symbolic fire was one of the main rituals of the festival, helping to celebrate the return of life and fertility to the world. May Day has Roman origins as well. When the Romans took over the British Isles, they brought with them their five-day celebration, known as Floralia, devoted to the worship of the goddess of flowers, Flora. This was a celebration of fertility in nature that took place around early May. The rituals of the celebration were eventually combined with the Celtic festival of Beltane. Another popular May Day tradition involves the Maypole. While the exact origins of the Maypole remain unknown, the annual traditions surrounding it can be traced back to medieval times, and some are still celebrated today. Villagers would enter the woods to find a maypole that had been set up for the day in small towns or sometimes permanently in larger cities. The day's festivities involved merriment as people would dance around the pole clad with colorful streamers and ribbons. Historians believe the first maypole dance originated as part of a fertility ritual where the pole symbolized male fertility and baskets and reeds symbolized female fertility. During the 19th and 20th centuries, the May Basket Day was celebrated across the country where baskets were created with flowers, candies, and other treats and hung on the doors of friends, neighbors, and loved ones on May 1st. So for today's selection of music, I hope to reflect these themes of love and nature and good cheer as we celebrate May Day in our own special way. To honor the Celtic tradition of May Day, we'll start things off with a calm and soothing instrumental piece of music called Spring, played on the Celtic harp.
here's a bit of frivolity, Renaissance style. Now, is the month of Maying is one of the most famous of the English ballets. A ballet is a light, dance-like part song similar to a madrigal. And one very frequent characteristic are the words in the refrain, fa-la-la-la. It was written by Thomas Morley and published in 1595. The song delights in body double entendres as it describes merry lads and bonny lasses frolicking about upon the greeny grass. So let's take a listen to this frothy and delightful number. Now is the month of Maying. Now is the month of Maying when merry lads are playing. Fa la 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 la. Fa la 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 la. Now is the month of Maying when merry lads are playing. Fa la 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 la. Fa la 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 la. Each with his bonny lass. Upon the greeny grass, each with his bonny lass. Upon the greeny grass, the spring clad all in gladness to laugh at winter sadness, Next is the first song of a collection of 16 songs entitled Dichterliebe, or The Poet's Love, composed in 1840. This is the best-known song cycle of Robert Schumann. The texts to these songs were written by German poet Heinrich Heine. Filled with imagery of flowers, dreams, and fairy tales, this kind of poetic writing is very representative of the German Romantic style. The first song that we will listen to is called Im Wunderschönen Monat Mai, or in English, In the Wonderfully Beautiful Month of May. Written for tenor with piano accompaniment, the text to this song is as follows. In the wonderfully beautiful month of May, when all the buds are bursting open, there, from my own heart, bursts forth my own love. In the wonderfully beautiful month of May, when all the birds are singing, so have I confessed to her my yearning and my longing. Here we see the themes of nature and love, and the music is quite descriptive of the young man's wistfulness and deep 
longing. for something completely different. Here is a song called April Showers. This lovely number is a popular song with music written by Louis Silvers and lyrics by B.G. De Silva. It was introduced in the 1921 Broadway musical Bumbo, where it was performed by Al Jolson. It became a very well-known Jolson standard. However, Let's hear the golden voice of Bing Crosby sing these charming lyrics. Though April showers may come your way, they bring the flowers that bloom in May. So if it's raining, have no regrets, because it isn't raining rain, you know. It's raining violets.
Because it isn't raining rain, you know it's raining violets. And where you see clouds upon the hills, you soon will see crowds of daffodils. So keep on looking for a bluebird and listening for his song. Whenever April showers come along. selection, I'd like to play a wonderfully lively number called Cuban Spring. However, much to my surprise and great delight, this Cuban Spring is based on the music of Antonio Vivaldi's Spring Violin Concerto from his Four Seasons. Just to refresh your memory, here are the opening bars of Vivaldi's Spring. And here is Cuban Spring, which is based on Vivaldi's work. See if you can recognize Vivaldi's music. This is most definitely a Cuban twist on a much beloved Baroque classic.
you've enjoyed today's musical moment and that perhaps you too were able to celebrate May Day by doing a little dance in your living room or kitchen. In these times of uncertainty and hardship, music can be a wonderful comfort. Just turn up the volume, close your eyes, and let the music take over, even if it's for a short while. Thanks for listening, and take good care. Bye for now. While we're in this like Motown world, why don't we do something from The Wiz? I think that could be fun. We sing standards, we sing songs from movies. It's a lot of fun. So I hope that you'll stay with me all the way till 7:30 p.m. tonight. So anything goes. I get no kick from champagne. Beer alcohol doesn't thrill me at all. You're right. So tell me why should it be true? Out of you. Some like a Bob type refrain. 
Thank you. 
wrap this little section up. I get too hungry for dinner at eight. I like to feed up but never come late. I never bother with people I hate. Nope, that's why the lady is a trap. I don't like crap games with barons and earls. No, won't go to parliament, ermine and pearls. Won't dish the dirt with the rest of the girls. That's why this lady is a trap. But I like the free, fresh wind in my hair. Well, life without care. I'm broke and it's open. Hate California, it's cold and it's damp. That's why the lady is a trap. I like the So I thought we could do something that we've never done before here at Broadway Happy Hour. A little bit of singing in the rain and the weather looks like eh, it could rain any minute now. So I'm going to have a little zip of water and then we're going to sing that together. Hey Cynthia, nice to see you. I'm singing in the rain, just singing in the rain. What a glorious feeling, I'm happy again. I'm laughing at clouds so dark above. The sun's in my heart and I'm ready for love. Let the stormy clouds chase everyone from this place. Come on with the rain, I have a smile on my face. I'll walk down the lane with a happy refrain. Just singing, I'll sing it.
English chappy, very snappy. Come, let's mix where Rockefellers walk with sticks or umbrellas in their midst. This segment of Broadway Happy Hour with Nick Burgess presented by the Siegel Center for Performing Arts and brought to you by the Parks and Recreation Department of Coach St. Luke. Well, that is today's episode of the Coach St. Luke Telephone Broadcasting Service and Podcast. Thank you to our guests and thank you to you for tuning in today. If you're listening on the 2 p.m. call-in, we have another special item for you. Have a great day. <laughs>